We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Like I said, that doesn't really have anything to do with what uh, we're talking about this morning, but I just thought it was worth sharing. Uh, today's message is, uh, it's very relevant, as is every section of scripture that we study. Um, but this particular topic, I see such a need for this in the church right now. And I don't mean living truth, I mean the church. Um, we need unity. And I don't mean unity at, the, say, at the, the cost of compromise. I mean unity in the things of Christ. We need, to, we need to find some common ground with each other, and we need to be unified as a church. Because our culture right now is pretty wild. Um, how many of you have social media? Okay. Most of you in the room, right? How many of you are disappointed on a regular basis by the things you see on social media? Yeah. I have determined recently that I'm not going to spend as much time on social media. Now, I have a band and music and things, and I'm told by people all the time, you really need to up your social media game. Um, that's how you're going to, you know, find your big break. And I'm like, I'm not looking for a big break. Um, and also, I don't want to spend 12 hours a day on Instagram. Um, because, number one, that's a waste of time. But also, it's just depressing. And I follow primarily Christians. And sometimes the things that I see happening and the way that we're handling disagreements and the way we voice our opinions, I'm like, oh my, that is not the heart of Christ. And there's many other causes for disunity in the church beyond social media, but I do believe that it plays a factor. I love the section that we're covering today because today is Family Sunday. Raise your hand if you're normally upstairs in a classroom. Raise your hand if you're supposed to be in Sunday school right now. All right, cool. We're glad you guys are in here. Um, I love this section of Scripture because the metaphor that Paul uses to, to make his point is as simple that a child can understand it and the oldest person in this room can understand it. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you're the oldest person in this room. <laughs> but I, um, some of you are raising voluntarily. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I just think that this is such a great section of Scripture because it's, it's simple. And sometimes when I'm reading, like, Leviticus or Deuteronomy, uh, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. You know, anybody? Am I the only one? Right? Thank you. Some honest people in the room. So I love this section of Scripture because, for the most part, when I read this, I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. I can track with this, right? And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. Pastor Michael stopped in verse 11, so we're going to pick up uh, at verse 12, and the heading in most of your Bibles will probably say, one body with many parts. And uh, before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for how good you are, God. You are so good to us and faithful, and um, Lord, we just pray over this time that it would be glorifying to you, God, that you'd be at the center of what takes place. Um, we just pray, God, that you would grow us this morning. We all need to hear from you this morning. Um, and even a large part of what we will talk about this morning is that each of us play a vital role in, in being here this morning. We are the body of Christ. And I pray that you bring unity where there's uh, unity needed. God, if there's relationships in this room that need to be healed this morning, that you would heal those. Lord, if there's marriages that are, that are hanging on by a thread, that you would heal those marriages. God, we believe that you can do those things. And so we ask in faith, in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every other name, that you would do those things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 12. 
It says, I'm reading from the NLT, so if you have a device and you can switch. I love the NLT, especially since we have kids today. Um, it's very simple. So here we go. Verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of, so it is with the body of Christ. Verse 13. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into the one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. And if the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Verse 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there, would be many, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that the extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Verse 25. We're almost there. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. We'll stop there. All right, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Let's have the worship team come back on out. No. Um, it is pretty self-explanatory. And I love the metaphors that Paul uses in this text. He says at one point, imagine if the whole body was just one part. Now, I don't know about y'all, but the human body is already kind of weird, like toes and, you know, like your nose. And you kind of like, there's the, the, the kind of things like you kind of take them for granted. But then when you stop and you like stare at your feet, you're like, these are weird. Like, have you ever, have you ever had that moment? Like, you look at your feet and you're like, it's kind of a weird deal going on down there. There's like these weird appendages hanging off and... You know, your toes, your toes in and of themselves. How many people, like, toes are, you're like, I can't do feet? Because I know you're out there. See, a couple, right? You, like, can't do feet. My wife kind of hates feet. She's like, ah, that's weird. I can understand that. Feet are kind of weird. Now, imagine if your whole body was an eye. Um, disgusting. Also, very injury prone. Can you imagine? Like, just an eye. Imagine when you get like a little speck of dust in your eye and how bad that hurts. Imagine if your whole body was an eye, okay? You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. Uh, it would be bad. But there's this idea in the text that Paul is saying that the design that Christ has for the church is a design of interdependence. What do you mean, Shane? Well, here's what I mean. I mean that God has designed the church in such a way that none of us should be an island. That each one of us is meant to be in the midst of community like this morning. Can we all agree on that? That we thrive in our spiritual life, in our spiritual pursuit of God, 
we thrive when we are in a community surrounded by people who are like-minded and have a common goal to glorify Christ. And that's why this morning is important. It is one aspect of what we do here this morning that is very important, that you surround yourself with other believers, that you do not isolate yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, Our culture right now is very anti this ideal. Yeah? How many people do you hear right now on the news or on TV or on social media, on Twitter, talking about being unified? No, what I see is everybody has an opinion and they want to make sure that you know their opinion. Also, you need to agree with their opinion or you're an idiot. That is our culture right now. Our culture is at a place where you need to agree with everything that I think or we can't communicate with each other. Last time I checked, I remember like I took debate class in high school. The whole thing revolves around not agreeing with each other. Marriage do you guys all get along with your spouses perfectly? Yeah. This is an honest group right now. No hands are raised, and I would have called you out so bad. So you just consider yourself lucky as the Holy Spirit that you didn't raise your hand. Okay, because we all know that if we're being honest, we don't agree on everything. And look at our culture right now. The, the divorce rate is through the roof, and it's usually over dumb disagreements that don't really matter. Greg Laurie said, I've been disagreeing with my wife since the day we got married. But that's marriage. It's taking two sinful people and making them get along. And loving each other no matter what until death do us part. And that idea is fading. Now, if you've gone through a divorce this morning, my heart goes out to you. Because there are many different stories and there's a lot of different situations. But I would encourage you that if in any relationship, whether it be a marriage relationship or whether it be somebody here this morning that you can't stand, that you would seek to reconcile that situation and to find healing and restoration because God's heart is that we would be unified as a church. The idea of being dependent on someone else is not particularly loved by our culture. In fact, it's a hard thing to swallow. If we think about our life and having to be totally dependent on another person, I think of those who need constant care. Maybe there's a physical disability or there's a mental disability and they need constant care. That is a difficult situation to be in. But did you know that dependence is actually the design that God has for us? And I think if we went around the room this morning and we asked each other how it's gone in our life when we've gone rogue and we've tried to do our own thing and we haven't relied on Christ or any other believers or sought any counsel from anybody else around us how things have gone in our life. Fantastic, right? No. And that's the message of the world is follow your heart, right? How many have heard somebody say that? How many have gone to somebody for advice and maybe well-meaning, but they've said, you just need to follow your heart? Anybody? Anybody had anybody say? Okay, thank you. Did you know that the scripture says that your heart is desperately wicked? In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But follow your heart. And we put it in nice Disney movie songs and cartoons. And it's a nice thought and it sounds really good and it makes a cool hashtag. And, you know, some of you are in here like, what's a hashtag? It's the little pound sign. Kids use it. I know, whatever. All right. But look, follow your heart is horrible advice. That is terrible, terrible advice. 
In fact, our culture says, you need to do you, right? That's the, that's the idea of our culture right now. You need to follow your heart. Do what you feel. Can I submit to you this morning that that is terrible advice and it will lead you down a path that you do not want to go down? I would actually say that the best thing you could do is follow Christ and seek after his heart. I think one of the best prayers that we could pray as a church, as a community, as a body of believers, is Lord, give me your heart. A song that Hillsong Worship wrote a while back now, and it's, you know, come and gone through the church, still a great song, but it's Hosanna, right? And the bridge of the song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. I love those lyrics. I love those lyrics. Because it's this idea that the train is coming, man. Woo! <laughs> all right? It's this idea. That's a cool ringtone. you got to give me that, all right? Whatever that is, I like that. All right? I had one of those as a kid, you know, where you, like, blow on the thing and it makes the train horn. Yeah? Okay. Sorry. We're getting sidetracked. Um, but there's this, there's the beauty and dependence on each other in the church. And when we seek our own will and when we do things our own way, as many of you can attest this morning, it does not go well. See, I think we love the idea of community until it costs us our independence. Can I say that again? We love the idea of community until it costs us our independence. We love the idea of being surrounded by people and having accountability until somebody actually holds us accountable. Right? Like, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. Um, you know, I have friends, I've had friends over the years, hey, man, I'm really struggling with, with, you know, profanity. I've been working construction, and I worked construction for a while, and I worked with a guy who was, we, we grew up together, and he would always come to me and say, look, man, you know, we're around these guys, and they're using profanity all the time, and I really don't want to cuss, so can you help me? And I'd be like, yeah, you know, dude, yeah, like, yeah, you know, all right. And then he would cuss, and I'd be like, hey, dude, watch your mouth. He'd be like, seriously, man? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You just, we just talked about this on the way here this morning. And I'm like, and then he makes me look dumb in front of everybody, right? We love the idea of accountability. We love the idea of living a righteous life and pursuing Christ until it costs us something. And we could go to marriage again as an example, or any relationship. Because in any relationship that you will have in life, you will never get along with the person 100% of the time. And if you find that, that person's not human. Or they're lying to you. Alright? Because you're not going to agree on everything. Unity, love, community, it costs something. And more often than not, it boils down to it costs our pride. Because we have to lay down what we want to give way for what somebody else might want. Have any of you ever experienced that in your life before? Like, let's use going to, to eat, for example. How many of you have ended up eating at a restaurant you didn't want to eat at? Did you complain about it the whole time? Uh-huh. I love Miguel's Jr. It's kind of nostalgia. They've changed the flavor a little bit. It's still good. But I grew up, like, playing Little League and going to Miguel's. So I could eat Miguel's or In-N-Out. I worked at In-N-Out for five years. And I ate it pretty much every day, um, which goes to show you that it's quality ingredients because <laughs> I stayed in decent shape throughout that time. This is a shameless plug for In-N-Out Burger. Um, it's a good company. But uh, I could eat In-N-Out or Miguel's 
any day of the week at any time. If you brought me a double double right now, I'd probably start eating it, okay? Uh, my wife, no. I'm like, every time she asks me where you want to eat, I'm like, well, for one, I think it's cheaper. So I'm like, this is a good place where we can eat. It's cheaper, right? So I'm like, we can go to Miguel's or in and out. And she's like, okay. This is the classic thing, right? All the husbands are like, amen, dude. They're, they're like, I don't know, you, check, you choose, wherever, wherever you want. And I'm like, all right, let's go to Miguel's. She's like, no, not Miguel's. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but wherever you want, that's fine. Just anywhere but Miguel's. Okay, let's go to In-N-Out. No, I don't want In-N-Out. <laughs> and so, there have been times, like, I remember when we were dating, we'd spend like a half hour in the car just trying to figure out where to eat. And you're just wasting time and getting more hungry, and then you just both get, start getting angry because you just want food, and some dumb fight happens, and... Not even worth it, right? But our culture hates the idea of having to sacrifice anything. In fact, our culture teaches the idea that you shouldn't have to sacrifice anything. These are all ideas that are infiltrating our culture and, dare I say, infiltrating the church. And the problem is that we are in a consumer mentality. And if you look at online shopping and Black Friday, people are getting trampled to death over like an Xbox, seriously, and this is our culture right now. We, we want what we want, when we want it, and we don't want to have to answer any questions or answer to anybody. And that is not the heart of Christ. And if you bring a consumer mentality into the church, it will be toxic. Because when you bring the consumer mentality into the church, this is what happens. You look at other people who are supposed to be indispensable co-counterparts of the body of Christ, you're supposed to be unified with them and together with them, and when you bring a consumer mentality into the church, you look at other people as dispensable parts. And you start to say, well, I don't really like her, so I'm just not going to talk to her. And if we go back to our text for a minute, he says, and if the ear says, in verse 16, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? 21, verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Can you imagine if your body started doing this? One morning you wake up and your feet are just like, nope. <laughs> and you get out of bed and you just fall on your face. And you're like, hey guys, can you go? Like, uh, we need to get going here. I got to get to work. And your feet just checked out for the day. They were like, no, nah, we're on vacation today. Brain said go, but we said no. <laughs> can you imagine? And when this happens... What do we do? We kind of freak out, right? It's kind of scary. My wife had an uh, ear infection um, towards the beginning of our marriage. Uh, by the way, our anniversary for two years is next weekend. Yeah. Time flies. It's been amazing. Uh, and uh, like a, maybe six months into our marriage, she got an ear infection. And I remember she woke up one morning, and she was going to get ready for work, and she lost her balance. And uh, she actually fell. And she started crying, and I would probably start crying too because, like, you're trying to walk, and you can't walk. There's something wrong here. And I was like, hey, hey, what's wrong? And she was like, I don't know. I can't walk. Like, I can't, I can't even, like, things are spinning, and I can't, I can't even walk straight. I'm falling over. And so we go to the ER and found out she had an ear infection. The text says there are these parts that are absolutely necessary, and we tend to forget about them. They're kind of buried in the background. Your equilibrium is something that you don't pay attention to every day. But when it is off, it changes everything. And I remember thinking, man, this is crazy. She has a little ear infection, and it's thrown off her equilibrium, and she can't walk. 
Because there are little parts of the body that may seem insignificant and not that vital or not that important, but then when you mess with them, it changes everything. And that's part of what Paul is saying today. In verse 21, he says, The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the, hand, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And he says in 22, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I got in a really bad car accident. I think I've told you guys this before. I got rear-ended at like 65 miles an hour um, in 2016. Um, I just got engaged to Natalie, and I was actually driving to her work to just say hello to her. And she got off early, so she, we probably passed each other on Ontario Avenue. And uh, so I saw her store closed when I got there, so I turned around and started driving home. My phone died. Um, I tried to like call her. I was on the Bluetooth, okay, all the moms that are like, you were on your phone while you are driving, okay? I was, I was using the hands-free thing, right? Um, and then my phone died, and I was like, well, that's great. Uh, so I'll just go back home, and maybe she'll be at the house. I don't know. Um, and so, because we were supposed to go to dinner that night. So I uh, stopped at the stoplight, and I hear, like, these tires squealing. And if anybody ever been in a car accident, you know how, how fast it happens. It's like one moment, everything's fine. The next minute, you're like, whoa, the, everything's different. And so I looked in the rearview mirror just in time to see some headlights, and I got rear-ended. Car was totaled. And... Uh, my family is really wonderful at picking up the phone. <laughs> no one answers their phone. I also don't answer a lot of time. It's in the blood, I guess. But so I called everybody like seven times on a stranger's phone. He's standing there like, dude, you, what's going on? Like, he thought I didn't have a family. I was just lying to him. I was like, I promise I have a family. They live in Corona. I promise they have phones, okay? Um, so anyways, they all show up. But the point I'm trying to make is that later that night, and, you know, I saw Todd in here earlier. Uh, Todd's a chiropractor. He knows all about this stuff. Um, and, you know, anybody who's had a neck injury. So you have all this soft tissue in the front of your, your neck, right? And I'm going to butcher this. Todd could give us a whole science lesson. But basically you have all these muscles and soft tissue. And when you get hit like that, your neck whips back and you have whiplash. So I remember I laid down. Um, and at first, you know, you have all the adrenaline and stuff. And your body's like, woo, that was crazy, Right? And then like an hour later, you're like, oh, man, everything hurts. So I was dumb, and I told the fire department, like, look, I played football. I've had concussions before. I don't have a concussion. I'm fine. I don't need to go to the hospital. Uh, it's, every woman in here is like, typical man right now, right? And uh, so I told them I was fine, and I just went home. And I remember I laid on the couch, and uh, Natalie asked me a question. I went to lift my head, and I was like, and I couldn't lift my head. And I was like, whoa, this is not good, right? And I found out I had severe whiplash and I had damage. And for like three and a half weeks, I could not lift my head off the pillow. And so I actually had to use my arms to lift my head. And your head's really heavy. Like you don't, you don't realize how heavy your head is until you got to lift it without thinking about it. And uh, there was this idea that the other parts of the body suffered with my neck. And the other parts of the body stepped in to supplement and to help aid the parts of the body that were hurting. Now, I don't know about you, but there is, that's a pretty great picture of what the church is supposed to be like. It should be that when one of us is hurting in this place, we step in and we fill in the gap. It should be said of the church of Jesus Christ that when one of us is broken, 
And when one of us is not functioning properly, when one of us is suffering, the church would step in and they would suffer with that person. Yeah? And I think that that's the heart of Christ, and I think that that's what Paul is trying to say in the text. There's this idea of being dependent on each other. If you think about when you stub your toe, there's a million illustrations, right? When you stub your toe, do you, does your toe react solo, right? Like you stub your toe and your toe's just like, ooh. No, when somebody stubs their toe, you're like, ow! Like, you know, Brian Regan, who's a comedian, he talks about when you walk through a spider web, how no one else knows what's going on. So you just look insane. Like you're walking and you're just like, you know, and everybody's like, whoa, that guy's crazy, dude. And you're like, no, it's just a spider web. That's like kind of when you stub your toe, like it's one of those things that's kind of a low-key thing, like nobody really sees you stub your toe, but you stub your toe and you're like, ah! I have an Italian family, everything is loud, okay? My dad has a really bad habit of burning his hands in the kitchen. He has burned his hands so many times. He makes pizza and all this stuff, it's great, but he always burns his hands. And growing up, that was the, his line is always, doggone it, that's like his line. And I can't tell you how many times growing up I heard, doggone it! And I walk in the kitchen, I'm like, hey, you all right? He's like, I burned my hand. I'm like, how many times you burn your hand, man? We have, like, oven mitts sitting right there. I don't know what's going on. But when, this is for years of being called out up here. I don't feel bad at all. (laughs) Hey, how did he get a mic? He's supposed to be off today. But there's this idea that when the body is hurting, when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body reacts. And, you know, I think one of the hardest parts about being in ministry is uh, the number of funerals that we have to be a part of. And I'm not complaining. It's, it's an honor to be a part of a celebration of somebody's life. But there, are, there is oftentimes this picture is displayed when we come together to celebrate somebody's life. Bill Brock, who was a part of our church for many years, A great man of God passed away recently from cancer, a long battle with cancer. And it is a cool thing to see the body come together and celebrate, but also be able to hurt with each other and be able to look at somebody else in the eyes and say, hey, I may or may not totally understand what you're going through, but I'm here for you. We're going through the book of Job on Wednesday nights. Job lost everything. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, you should come on Wednesday nights. Because talk about the, the term that we've been using a lot on Wednesday nights is this idea of redemptive suffering. And sometimes God uses the worst situations in our lives and the worst things that could happen in the church to bring us together. Did you know that the underground church in China right now is thriving at its greatest peak right now because of the level of persecution against the Christian church? Pastors who are leading the underground church in China are saying that they want the persecution, hear this, they want the persecution to continue because they see the way that it brings the church together. Man, we have it too easy. We get to come here and we get to pretty much do what we want. And we have freedoms that we take for granted. And I think that sometimes we've become so consumed with what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We want things to look the way we want them to look. We want them to sound the way we want to sound. We don't like when the pastor tells that many jokes, but if he tells this many jokes, that's okay. But I need this much theology and I need this much humor. And it becomes church shopping because we've all said that before. We're church shopping right now. I'm not, I'm not judging you if you've said that before. I've said it, right? I've not really church shopped too much. But 
I've heard people say it, right? And so, yeah, I don't really like the pastor here. He's, right? And so we get into this idea where it's like, I want what I want. Cool, but this isn't about you. This is about Jesus. You don't go to your friend's birthday party and say, I don't like chocolate cake. Nobody cares what kind of cake you like. It's not your party. Come on. Now look, there are different ways to worship. There are different styles of churches. There are a million different ways. There's a whole smorgasbord of ways to worship God, and a lot of them are great. But here's what I would say to you. If something is not your preference, it's okay. We all have different preferences. But I would love to see the church be unified, even in the midst of disagreements, because that's the heart of Christ. That's what you seek in your marriage, in your relationships, is that, you know what, honey, I don't agree with you at all. But it's okay. My friend is remodeling a house they just bought right now. And him and his wife, he said, uh, it's been going great. They pretty much agreed on everything. And I was like, oh, just wait for it, right? And then he said the next week, uh, they, they were putting in cabinets. And <laughs> it's just the, the littlest things turn into the biggest things, right? And it was all about the handle on the cabinets, right? He wanted the long, skinny, like contemporary-looking ones. And she wanted the, like, old-fashioned, like, scoop ones. And they couldn't agree on it. And they got in, sorry, I don't know what's going on. They got in this big fight. And... Uh, he was like, and it was so stupid, because when we look back, it was like uh, handles on the drawers. You know, you might touch those a couple times a week. He doesn't even cook, so I don't know why he's even talking. <laughs> I told him that. But I think uh, it's the dumbest little things that get in the way of what we're actually here for. Diversity is not a hindrance to unity, yet it is necessary for it. Diversity is not a hindrance to unity. It is necessary for it. Because unity cannot be accomplished without diversity. If we are all robots that have been cloned and we come in here and we all think the same way and we agree on everything, that's not true unity. True unity is accomplished in the midst of diversity. So that means that when I don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything with you, I can still say, okay, but I'm going to look past that. Now, there are essential things that are very important. But there are some things, church, that just don't matter. They really don't matter. And they're subjective, and everybody in the room would have a different opinion on it. I tell people all the time, I could listen to a song right now, and it could move me, and I could be like, wow, this is the best, greatest song I've ever heard. And then I could show it to Sandlin, and Sandlin could be like, I hate this song. And her opinion would be just as valid as mine. Because it's subjective, and it doesn't really matter. The problem becomes when I start taking offense to that, or when Sandlin starts saying, you can't listen to that song. I'm like, well, why? Is it not God-honoring? No, I just don't like it. Well, then why does this matter? It doesn't matter. And I feel like that's what happens in the church a lot. If we were all exactly the same, agreed on everything, held the same views, political opinions, the list goes on, the kids are in here today, if you all like the same cartoons... All the same stuff. That's not unity. Unity is when I don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, but we move forward anyways in love. Christianity at its core is built on the idea that each one of us has been made uniquely in the image of God. And there is this idea of interdependency, interdependency in the church. Interdependency is God's design for the Christian church. When you're hurting you want somebody else to step in and be there for you. And you should do the same for someone else. 
pride is at the root of a lot of the issues that we face. And Paul says, we ought not to think of ourselves too highly. In Romans 12, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think of yourself with sober judgment. <laughs> I love that. Basically what Paul is saying is, be, be real, you're not that great. <laughs> right? He's just like, okay, look, when you think about yourself, think about yourself realistically. And it's so easy to see all the things we don't like in somebody else, right? How many grew up with siblings? Okay, so you, you, this is like true of all siblings, right? How many kids in here got in a fight with your brother or sister this morning? Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Look at honest families here. I love it, okay? There's this idea that we can't think of ourselves higher than we should. And that kind of leads us into this idea that we're going to see later in the text. But I want to read this to you real quick. This is from a commentary uh, from Stephen T. Um. He says, Many people hop around different communities looking for the right fit. If we are all members of a local church, we are indispensable, or you could say irreplaceable. And all of, our, all of the other members are indispensable parts of our lives. They, too, are part of the body that God has put together to display the beauty of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going to different churches and trying to find a fit. I'm not saying that. In fact, all of you ended up here because you did that. And there is something to be said for going into a place of worship and examining and making sure that they're holding true to the scriptures. But my point goes back to what hills are we willing to die on? And if it's, you know, we've heard stories of church splits that started at a, at a church potluck. Because a pastor was angry that a kid got a bigger piece of carne asada than he did. And you're like, what? Or we've heard stories of churches, and when you really strip it down, there's all these other things that came from the initial disagreement, right? But when you really pull back the veil, you find out that nobody liked the carpet color, and everybody was mad. And, uh, you know, Nancy thought it should be green, and Jackie thought it should be red. Terrible colors, don't. Yeah, I don't know why I said those colors. And, um, you know, it, it really boils down to something that doesn't even matter. God's heart for us is that we would be unified and that we wouldn't major on the minors. Now, there's a little bit of this text as we are close to wrapping up this morning, but he says in verse 22, I just want to clarify this, right? He says, in fact, some of the body parts that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest dignity. I think the best example of this would be like internal organs. Like, if your kidney is exposed, there is something seriously wrong. Okay? So, your kidney is playing a vital role, as are your liver and, you know, all your other in internal organs, Right? And <laughs> I got to tell the story. We moved the piano, and Pastor John has a really weird sense of humor, which I'm sure all of you have noticed. If he spoke once in front of you, you're like, yeah, this guy's kind of got a weird sense of humor, right? And uh, <laughs> we're moving the piano, and a couple of us, uh, it was like five of us. And that thing weighs 785 pounds, and it was like five of us. And uh, we lifted it. It was a struggle. Uh, 
to say the least. I'm glad no one was here to see. My face was like bright red. We're all hurting. Um, and one of the guys that was helping us lift it, he has a hernia, but it's like up by his belly button. And it's not like a problem. So the doctor didn't fix it, right? But he's like, oh, my hernia popped out. And I was like, what? And he's like, hold on. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? And then Pastor John walks in. He goes, yeah, be careful. If you untie your belly button, your butt will fall off. And I was like, what? Got a guy over here pushing in his hernia, and John's saying your butt's going to fall off. And I'm like, we got to rehearse, man. Service starts in an hour. But there's these internal parts of our body that we don't really think about, and we take them for granted. But it's like the old saying that sometimes you don't know what you had until it's gone. We've had moments like that as church leadership over the years where somebody steps out of a role, and I'm going to just use Mike Rizzi as an example because Mike is a, a very faithful servant and does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And it would be really easy for us to look at Pastor Michael or worship leaders and music directors and, you know, um, teachers in classrooms as the, the most important. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that those people play a very important role. But when Mike Rizzi goes on vacation, like, everything changes. Like, I, I, we'll, we'll go to lock up the building, and I'm like, all the air conditioners are still on. All the lights are on upstairs, and that emergency exit's open. And then Matthew will be like, oh, yeah, Mike's on vacation. I'm like, hmm, that makes sense. Because Mike doesn't really say anything. He just does. He just does stuff. And that's the way it should be. I heard a story of uh, a church and a woman was walking down the uh, hallway and she stopped and she looked at a, a guy and she said, excuse me, sir, um, one of the light bulbs is out in the women's restroom. It's really hard to see over the, the, the sink. And the guy said to the older lady, um, oh, well, I'm a pastor here. Uh, I, don't, I don't change light bulbs, but we have a janitorial staff, so you can uh, just find one of them. And she said, okay, well, I'm uh, the senior pastor's mom. I'll let him know that his pastoral staff can't change light bulbs. <laughs> and see, the, we all laugh, but that attitude can creep into our hearts so fast. I don't do that. Some of you hold high positions at work. You run the office. Are you still willing to do the little tasks that aren't your job? Because that's humility, and that's the heart of Christ, is that as a body, we would function in our proper place where we're supposed to be, where we will thrive. If you cannot sing, I'm not going to let you be the worship leader. I love you, but that's not your role. Your role might be teaching students in a classroom where we are short every Sunday. We are short on Sunday school teachers. And let me tell you all, you don't have to be a scholar to teach the Bible to kids. I'm certainly not a scholar. I'm teaching to adults right now. All right? And we have a shortage in that area every Sunday. And we have people who serve you donuts every week. And you eat them, and you drink the coffee, but you don't ever think about who makes the coffee, do you? Somebody had to get here early and make that coffee. And if the coffee guy goes, we call Joe the coffee guy. Every time I say, hey, Joe, has a coffee? He says, that's hey, church coffee. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, hey, I like church coffee. Okay. But if Joe doesn't show up and nobody steps in and makes a coffee everybody's angry they show up to service and they're tired nobody got their coffee 
This is obviously a very light-hearted example, but you get what I'm saying. That there are little parts of the body that play a big role, and they're important. And I would just say that we can't look at each other this morning and like the foot says to the hand or the example that Paul uses, I don't need you. That's the wrong attitude. The right attitude for us as a church this morning is to look at each other and say, I need you. And I hope that you need me. And when somebody is hurting, we would step in and we would hurt with that person. That we would find healing when we need healing. And there's this idea this morning, and, and it, we need this church, we need this right now. Because there are so many people in this room this morning sitting maybe right next to you that are, they're on their last leg, man. They have nothing left. And every time we come here, I want, who cares what I want? God wants this place to be a family. Each one of you have been called his own. You're the daughters and the sons of the Most High King. And what will bring God the greatest joy this morning is if we can come in this place and love each other. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart. And he said the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's really easy to love me. But it's a whole nother thing to love somebody else. When we don't agree. When they want Miguel's not winning out. I'd be fine either way. James in James chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. He says the context is taming the tongue. But there's a principle here I want to touch on is that with the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in His image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And I've taught on James before on a Sunday, and I said, isn't this so easy to do? We worship God, and we lift our hands, and we sing our songs, and then we leave here, and somebody cuts us off, and you... You know, you yell at him, and then you realize that it's like Tom, and he goes to the church, and you're like, oh, this is awkward. Our emotions are fickle. Our heart is fickle. It's fleeting. Our, our emotions can change in a moment. Emotions are a gift from God. They're a blessing in their proper place and context. But if I start to say that urge, and this is our culture right now, that urge that you have, that's who you really are. Chase that. Follow your heart. You want to do that and you keep feeling like you want to do that thing, so you need to do it because you're neglecting who you were meant to be. Those are sinful urges and God is telling you, fight the temptation. And that's our culture right now. Follow every urge and every desire that you have. And I would say, follow Christ. And if you follow Christ, we will accomplish the diversity uh, and the unity that we're looking for in the church. When one part hurts, we all should hurt. When one part rejoices, we all should rejoice. Amen? This is not a complicated principle. I don't really have anything else to say. We need to be unified as a body. And it will come through many means, but ultimately it will come through laying down our pride and actually loving each other. No matter what. When you disagree on something with someone, 
This week, you will get into a disagreement with someone. Unless you're staying at home all week, you're going to probably find someone that you don't agree with. It could be something big. It could be something small. My encouragement to you as a church this morning would be that when that opportunity presents itself, you would act in love. And you would stop before you respond because, man, we are so quick to respond. I'm talking to myself. But instead, I would stop and I'd say, okay, how would the Lord want me to handle this? Probably not what I was just thinking about saying. Right? I should probably not say that. We want to be a unit, together, unified. And, you know, verse 27 through 31 is really going to tie in with chapter 14. So for the sake of today, we'll, we'll leave those verses be. Um, Pastor Michael is going to continue to the next chapter. I love 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to be great next week, so we hope you'll be here. But this next section about the order of things in the church, we're going to really be able to kind of hit on that more in chapter 14. But I just want to say this as the last thing. The band can come on out. And this is really what it boils down to. The head of the body is Christ. If you think about how your body works right now, just think about this, the miracle of life. I, I, tell, I told the youth students this last time I taught on creation. I said, isn't this nuts? Now, you're like, what? Okay, just think about what's happening right now. I can just think and my fingers move. That's insane. I do not understand how that works. Okay? And scientists explain it, and I'm like, still don't get it. They're like, well, synapses fire in that section of the brain that causes motion, and it uh, engages, and then your fingers go. I'm like, that still doesn't explain how that actually happens, though. Okay? Because God is a miracle-working God. He has done things that I cannot understand because he is so much bigger and so much greater and so much more mighty than me. And just to think about the way your body works, the head ultimately dictates what will happen in the sense that your brain sends those signals. I wonder if we actually, this is my metaphor for this morning, if Christ is at the head, and let's say Christ is in command, right, because he is and he should be, if he just said things and we just followed, and we just said, all right, Lord, you want us to do that? We're going to do it. Man, how our world would change. The band is scared to come out because I'm not praying. You guys can come out. But seriously, man, our world, our churches would change if when God said go, we just said okay. We sing a song called Spirit Lead Me. I love that song. You guys like that song? So good, right? Some of you hate it. I'm like, sorry, you know, you were looking at me weird when I said that. But the chorus of the song says, oh, man, I got to remember the lyrics now, Shane. All right. The chorus says, um, if you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release, I'm letting go. If you say to jump, I'm diving in. Man, if we would just live our life like that, when God says to do something, we just say, okay. If God says it's wrong, we say, okay, Lord, you said it's wrong. Maybe I don't even understand why it's wrong, but I'm going to listen to you anyways. And I pray, that, I pray that if there's disagreements in this room this morning, if there are things that have been going on, bitterness, backstabbing, gossip, I don't know. Maybe not, praise God, but maybe that you would handle that situation this morning and that you wouldn't let disunity creep in. Because can I tell you this, church? Satan wants to divide us this morning. If there's one thing he wants to accomplish, he wants to convince you that you're better than you are and that you don't need anybody else. 
Because if he can get you off on your own, you'll be at your weakest point. My hand is no good when it is detached from my body. But when it is connected to the body, playing its role that God intended for it to play, it's amazing what it can do. These guys behind me can play these instruments, and God has given everybody a unique, get, a unique gift. And if we would just step into that and say, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. I think that I think your whole life would change. I know your whole life will change because that's the goodness of our Savior. Amen? Lord, help us to be unified this morning. It is amazing how time flies by uh, up here. And Lord, I just, we could talk about it all day, but really the, the idea is so simple. We need to love each other. And we need to really decide what's worth fighting for and what's worth just letting go. And Lord, I pray that if there are broken relationships this morning, if there is healing that is needed, restoration that is needed, God, that you would do that work in our lives. As we sing this last song, God, there's this idea that you use broken vessels. You take the broken parts of our lives. I heard a pastor say one time, you take the broken, fragmented pieces of our broken lives and you build them and you put them together and you make something beautiful. And this church needs to be a unit. The church needs to be a unit. Far beyond the walls of living truth, God, we need unity amongst your people. And God, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts because it does start within our hearts. Bring unity to our churches, to our families, God. To the broken parts of our lives that need healing. And I pray that if somebody feels alone this morning, they feel like they can't face the struggle one more day, that you would remind them that they are yours and their identity and everything that they are is found in who you have already said that they are. If you do not know Jesus this morning, maybe you've been pushing him away for a long time. The idea of church is something that maybe you've had a bad experience or maybe it's, it's just something that you've never been interested in. Can I just tell you and plead with you for a second that your soul is the most important part about you. Your body will die one day, but your soul will go on forever and you're going to one of two places, friend. And you need to be right with the God who made you, who loved you enough that he gave his son to die for you. You need to be in right relationship with the God who loves you and made you. And you can do that this morning. And it's not going to be an emotional thing. It's going to be you saying, you know what? I'm tired of struggling. I'm, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm going to make a decision this morning to stand my ground and say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Your life is not going to get easier after today if you make that decision. I promise you it will get more difficult. But if you turn to him, the scripture says, if you turn and you repent of your sin and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I need you, he is faithful to forgive you every single time because he loves you. 